Once admitted there, admitted there, our conception, though it may be partial, will be clear and true. I thought that was an interesting line. Yeah. In other words, being infinitesimal spiritual beings, part of the Supreme Lord, we have the same quality, but the Supreme Lord, He's infinite and we're infinitesimal. There's no way that we can ever know everything about God. We can know a lot, but the Supreme Lord, His, His majesty, His glory, His perfection is ever-increasing. So although God is perfect and complete in every way, there's nothing incomplete in God. Om Purnam Adaha Purnam Idam. Although he's perfect and complete, and everything that comes from him is also complete in and of itself, still the loving reciprocation is ever increasing. It's never, we're never satiated in loving the Supreme once we reach that plane of spiritual love. And the Lord's ever increasing his joyfulness due to that reciprocation of love. It's never stagnant. It's dynamic. Everything in this world eventually reaches a stage of, of, of becoming stagnant and then dwindling and then ending. Everything here has that tendency, whether it be the house that we're sitting in now or the body that we're residing in. It all comes into being, it lasts for some time, it's maintained. In the case of being a living entity, there's some offspring, then there's dwindling, and then, well, it ends. So whether it be this house or this body that we're dwelling in, we're dwelling in both, both will be annihilated in due course of time. So Krishna, the Supreme Lord, he once we come to a relationship where our entire consciousness is immersed in that exchange of love, it's not a stagnant thing. It's ever-increasing. And our knowledge and awareness and appreciation for the Lord is ever-expanding and His reciprocation of that is ever increasing. So on to Bhagavad Gita and Karma Yoga. So everybody's begun the third chapter, I hope. A little, little bit of preliminary reading. We're going to chant a verse together and then we're going to review the first nine or ten verses. I thought we would chant text number nine. Yagnartat Kamanunyatra, Lokiyam Karma Bandana, Tadartham Karma Kalteya, Muktasanga Samachara. Work done as a sacrifice for Vishnu has to be performed. Otherwise, work causes bondage in this material world. Therefore, O son of Kunti, perform your prescribed duties for his satisfaction, and in that way you will always remain free from bondage. I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. 
I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. So in this purport, Bhaktivedanta Swami points out, one should therefore act very diligently under the expert guidance of a devotee, of Lord Krishna, or under the direct instruction of Lord Krishna himself, under whom Arjuna had the opportunity to work. The beginning of this third chapter, in the beginning, Arjuna expresses his confusion due to the instructions he'd received, just received from Krishna. As we know, in the second chapter, Krishna basically gave very, very succinct knowledge about the nature of what is matter and what is spirit and how we can distinguish what is our soul. And by that distinguishing the soul from matter, we can come to an understanding of our true spiritual nature. And then, after he explained that concise nature of the soul, it's eternal, it's never going to be destroyed, there's nothing that can affect it, no material circumstance can affect our true self, that knowledge is there. And then at the end of the chapter, Lord Krishna gave some, some other information regarding working without attachment to the world, and also acquiring knowledge about your spiritual nature and using that knowledge to free yourself, to detach yourself from our exploitive tendency which gets us wrapped up in material affairs and basically tightens the grip of bondage for the soul within the material world. So two things were, were kind of stressed there by Lord Krishna. One was use intelligence to understand your spiritual nature and therefore rise to the transcendental platform, to transcendental knowledge, to spiritual understanding. And then he also said, and work Work in the world with detachment. Now at the beginning of this third chapter, Arjuna says, wait, you say you want me to work without attachment and you also say you want me to use knowledge to detach myself from worldly affairs. Well now, which do you want me to do? Do you want me to use knowledge to detach myself? Or do you want me to work to detach myself? Which is best? So at the beginning of the chapter, Arjuna expresses this. Arjuna said, O Janardhan, O Keshava, why do you want to engage me in this ghastly warfare? If you think that intelligence is better than fruit of work. Why are you asking me to engage in this work now, the work's necessary. We've gone over that pretty extensively. We, we have a situation where society has gone off track and the wrong people were in charge. And they've actually stolen the kingdom. Their motives are, are not pure in that regard. And therefore, there's every, there's every chance, based on the way they conduct their affairs, based on their character... Or should we rather say their lack of character? 
men that are willing to strip a woman naked in an assembly? Now, is that who you want running the show? No. Nobody wants that kind of a man in, in office. How can you trust them? How can you put your, how can the citizens put their confidence in such a person? Well, in Kali Yuga, we've seen it done, but <laughs> just a couple presidents ago. But aside from that, that's Kali Yuga. In Kali Yuga, anything goes, unfortunately. This association, this movement of Krishna consciousness is to rectify that foolish mentality that anything goes. Anything goes means everything goes to hell. It's funny. Vishwanath Chakravarti points out that in the first verse, the Supreme Lord is being been addressed by two names, Janardhan and Keshava. There's some inner meaning to that addressing of the Lord by those two names. First, Janardhan. That word in Sanskrit can be broken down. Jana means everybody, all people. So every pe all the people taken together, Jana. Ardana, to petition. Everybody petitions the Lord, every person petitions the Lord for the fulfillment of their desire. If they have any intelligence. Doesn't matter what the religion is. Doesn't matter what. Eventually, for fulfillment and protection and whatever one desires, we approach God. Everyone approaches God. But Vishwanath Chakravarti, he gives different definitions. He, he still separates the word John Arden. And Jana, he refers to his friends. It's another meaning for Jana. Not only does it mean all people, but it means friends. Ardana, suffer. Instead of petition, he uses suffer. And he points out that by using this name, Arjuna is saying, why are you asking me, who is your friend, why are you asking me to perform duties that I see as creating my future suffering? In other words, you're asking me to engage in a battle here. You're my friend, but you're asking me to engage in a battle. Why are you giving me such a painful instruction? Vishwanath Chakravarti brings out this meaning. That's also there in addressing Krishna as Janardhan. He goes on to point out that Keshava can be broken down into three components. Ka, Isa, and Va. Ka means Lord Brahma the engineer of the material universe under Krishna's direction, under the Lord's direction, there's a grand architect who's inspired by God and he, through his creative potency, through the Lord's creative potency, he enthuses Lord Brahma to make the universe. Then Isa stands for Lord Shiva who wraps it all up. He destroys the universe. And Va means under. So Keshava means that Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva both are under Krishna. In other words, Krishna is above both Brahma and Shiva, who are the 
most powerful demigods in the material universe. So Janardan and Keshava, the Lord is being addressed by both of these names. And in one address, according to Vishwanath, Arjuna is asking, why do you want me to engage in this ghastly world? You're my friend. Why is this, this serious form of sacrifice required? And isn't that what he says? Okay, Shiva, why do, you, why do you want to engage me in this ghastly world warfare? It's a legitimate question. If you think that intelligence is better than fruit of work. And Krishna kind of made that clear at the end of the last chapter. Implying that uh, it's not intelligent to go to war. Of the two, because Krishna brought both up, right. both knowledge of what is matter and what is spirit, yeah. and also working, working in a way, niskarma karma, working in the world. So let's read on. My intelligence is bewildered by your equivocal instructions. Therefore, please tell me decisively which will be more beneficial for me. It's important to see here that the way Arjuna is putting forth the question, he's asking Krishna, who has now taken the position of his spiritual teacher, his guru, he's saying, which is best for me? You've outlined two things that are, that are good for spiritual advancement in life, but I don't know which one I should do. You know my character. You know my nature. You tell me which is best for me. And it's interesting the way that Arjuna is answered. He's answered, answered with specific direction for his character. The Supreme Personality of God had said, O sinless Arjuna, I have already explained that there are two classes of men who try to realize the self. Some are inclined to understand it by empirical philosophical speculation and others by devotional service. Not by merely abstaining from work can one achieve freedom from reaction, nor by renunciation alone can one attain perfection. Everyone is forced to act helplessly according to the qualities he has acquired from the modes of material nature. Therefore, no one can refrain from doing something, not even for a moment. One who restrains the senses of action, but whose mind dwells on sense objects, certainly deludes himself and is called a pretender. In giving these specific instructions to Arjuna, Krishna is giving general instructions to mankind as to the gradual stages that are required for someone to advance spiritually. Generally speaking, it is very difficult for one to immediately give up all activities and simply take to concentrated intelligence directed to the Supreme. Now, there is a class of man that can do that. And let's look at it in the context of the Western world. In the Western world, 
there's a priestly order. And generally they enter the Guru Kula, here they call it a seminary, in early life, right? And they take to learning scripture, knowledge. They acquire their, their whole life from the beginning is generally dedicated to acquiring spiritual knowledge and living a, away from society. They generally go off to a monastery as monks. They separate themselves. In some of the Christian traditions, they're required to remain celibate. In other words, they're not even allowed to, to speak to an audience, to a congregation, unless they are, they are celibate. Of course, there's differences, but the basic point is there. They're renounced men. They're holy men. Their whole energy, they don't have a job. What do they do all week? They study scripture for what? For Sunday morning or Saturday afternoon. That's their whole, their whole work. Other than giving counseling to their congregation for spiritual upliftment, their whole work is that of gyan, knowledge, acquiring knowledge. What segment of society? What's the percentage? It's not a lot. It's not a lot of people that take to that. It's difficult. Now we can see Krishna will bring out later in Bhagavad Gita that there are stages of life also. Not only do people have stations in life where they work, but they also go through stages. We're young, and we become students and we learn and hopefully we learn something of spiritual life in the, our youth so that through our life it can carry us and keep us connected to the Supreme. Then we work, we generally marry, we generally have offspring, children, we raise them, we work in society and then we retire. Some of us in a good society can retire. More and more difficult in this day and age. And at the end, there's naturally a time for reflection where everybody should be studying scripture because the writing's on the walls, the body's becoming infirm, it's uh, starting to dwindle. We have to prepare ourselves to meet our maker, as they say. Well, that's a glorious thing. We say, let me meet our maker, and it should be glorious, and instead, we're there, let me meet my maker? Well, I don't know, this is, this is, I don't know if this is for me. Uh, anyway, there's two viewpoints there. Now, we're going over these verses, and we can take these verses into the context of our society here. And if we look at the people that dedicate themselves to spiritual knowledge... As I said, in this Western culture, it's a very small segment of society. And what happens when they're not fully dedicated or advanced enough to pull it off? And where's, what's Krishna say in the verse we read, 6? One who restrains the senses of action. I put on the collar. In this society. I put on the collar. I put on the shroud or whatever. Yeah. But my mind's where? Somewhere else. 
It's still thinking. Ah, look, that man has such a nice wife. Why am I here? Why did I take this on? I wish I had a nice wife. I'm not even allowed to go out. All these people go out on a Saturday and Friday night and have a good time, and I'm sitting in the seminary. I'm preparing my, you know. Their mind's not really there yet. They're not spiritually advanced enough. And what's it do? It wreck havoc in society. Not only in Western society, also in Vaishnav society. None, no spiritual societies are immune to a class of people who take to the position of renunciation before they're spiritually ready to. And boy, does it really, it's, what are they, in this culture, what do we say? We end up with egg on our face. (laughs) We end up with priests who end up being pedophiles. We end up with priests that end up, that take advantage of the congregation. We end up with priests that take the, take the uh, collections and they're off to another land. We find out that these people who have put themselves forth as our religious authorities and we've taken shelter of them and we go to them for direction and for help and for counseling when they're, when we're in a position of grief. And all of a sudden we find out what? The whole time they've been doing some, some act, ridiculous material engagement and our faith is shaken. All of a sudden it's like, I'm not going to that church anymore. That also happens in other traditions. Now you're here, we're here, we're studying and the source of the tradition we study is in another culture. But the directions are the same. It's not any different, except we're given a little bit more detailed knowledge. We're given a lot more detailed. We're given volumes of more detailed knowledge. And it really helps us, our hearts grow. Which is nice. Because, unfortunately, the other traditions are are generally not carrying forth purity and therefore people become disheartened. It doesn't carry them through. But we also must be careful even in this tradition, in this Krishna conscious tradition, we must be careful in selecting the proper association, in selecting the proper teacher the proper shelter, the proper guru. That's our responsibility. We cannot put that off on anyone else. Not a big organization. We can't say, let the church show me who I should take shelter of. No. You find somewhere where you can place your faith and you test We don't accept blindly. We test. And this wonderful philosophy of Krishna consciousness teaches us exactly how we test. Guru, Shadu, and Shastra. And qualities. The qualities of character have to be there. Vacho Vegam Manasakrado Vegam Jiva Vegam Udharapasta Vegam Itan Vegam Yo Visaheta Dira Vacho Vegam before you go selecting 
someone who is going to be your shelter, your guide, that you're going to put all your faith in, make sure that they're not a man of the world. Vacho Vegan. They've given up the urge to speak nonsense. They don't live for the tongue, and the belly, and the genital. They live for Krishna. So that's our responsibility. We have to find that kind of a master and take shelter of that kind of a person. Someone that we can put all of our faith in. Then we can move forward in spiritual life. In text 6, Krishna is specifically addressing the position of Arjuna. Arjuna, begin with working. For you, don't try to take to this. Your character is one of a, a man of the world. Continue to be a man in the world, but not of the world. Continue to do your work, your karma in society. Don't run off, don't try to take to a level of spiritual discipline and service that you're, you've not yet advanced to. From the, for the majority of people, the instructions that Krishna is giving on our, to Arjuna are fully applicable. That isn't to say that there isn't a small slice of society who are very advanced already, but in this age, very rare. So rare that Sri Shaitanya, Krishna himself, made a proclamation proclamation. One of the things that mankind should not do in this age is take to the renounced order of life. Wait a minute. I just saw in a newsletter, Ishkan just four more people took sannyas, bringing the total to 84. 84 sannyasis in the Krishna consciousness movement within the formal organization. Is that what... what, what? What's 84 out of the society of the planet? 84 advanced souls who are there. There's been some history, but let us now hope that that history's passed. So that's not a great number. So even though the general proclamation is there in the age of Kali, people do not take to the renounced order of life. Still, there will always be, for the purposes of spreading the Krishna consciousness movement, advanced people who are free. And this is very important. People that accept the renounced order of life are already free of all material desires. They do not take renounced life to free themselves from material desires. Right. And we see that people that do it with the cart before the horse, generally end up with a toppled cart. On the other hand, if a sincere person tries to control the active senses by the mind and begins karma yoga in Krishna consciousness without attachment, he is by far superior. In other words, don't be a false, a bogey yogi. <laughs> A bogus yogi. Don't be a fraud. Don't be Prabhupada in the poor port. What's the word he used? Charlatan. Charlatan meditator. 
I don't know why they changed. I think in the uh, older version it was mendicant, but don't be a fake. Whether it's meditator or mendicant, both are applicable. Perform your prescribed duties, for doing so is better than not working. One cannot even maintain his physical body without work. You see, every instruction that Arjuna is, I mean, Krishna is giving here to Arjuna is specific to Arjuna. It's not to the renounced class. Now, you will notice later, as you begin to study Bhagavat, that whenever a, the Lord himself or a great saintly person is giving instruction, he's giving instruction according to time, place, and the character of the person that he's instructing. The instructions here for Arjuna, specifically for Arjuna. And luckily, we all fall into the Arjuna class, or 99.99% of us do. So it's good instruction for us. Then the verse we chanted, work done as a sacrifice for the Supreme Lord has to be performed, otherwise work causes bondage to this material world. We do our work, we go to the job, we make our money, but we don't do it with an exploitative mentality. Well, now let me enjoy the fruits of our, my labor. And even if we have some tendency there, Krishna will see next week as we go on, he talks about if you still have a tendency to enjoy the fruit of your labor, well, then you're going to have to do, then, then take to the process of sacrifice. So he's opening the door to that with this verse and then with the closing verse for this evening. Work done as a sacrifice for Vishnu has to be performed, otherwise it, it binds us. It's like ropes, we're tied down. Therefore, O son of Kunti, perform your prescribed duties for his satisfaction, and in that way you will always remain free from bondage. Then text 10, In the beginning of creation, the Lord of all creatures sent forth generations of men and demigods along with sacrifice for Vishnu, and blessed them by saying, So now Krishna is opening the door. What's he say? Bless them by saying, Be thou happy by this sacrifice, yagna, because its performance will bestow upon you everything desirable for living happily and achieving liberation. We're not interested in living happily or achieving liberation. We want to love God. That's, that's, where, that's where the real pleasure is. That's when the hairs stand on end. That's when the, the voice is choked up and there's tears constantly. That transcendental rapture, that's real happiness. Nothing of this world, not elevation to the heavenly planets, not being liberated, so-called. Liberated the sannyasis, the renounced class, they think they're so liberated and what's the problem? We're thinking like that and then the, then the, the desire comes again to enjoy and liberation is lost again, and we fall down. <coughs> Love, once it starts to blossom in the heart, it's never lost. Love for the Lord, a little bit, teeny itsy bitsy particle of love, never lost. It's Krishna's guarantee. For my devotee, I carry what little 
bit they have never lost. Any questions? Comments? Yes. The other day, Amy wanted to know what the uh, connection with uh, Shiva and Krishna is. How do they correlate with each other? Is uh, Shiva the devotee of Krishna, or yes, Krishna, Shiva is the greatest devotee of of Krishna. We went to Tamarack and uh, uh, an Indian restaurant in uh-huh. and. Uh, yeah, the other various Hindu gods and mm-hmm. That's right. They, there, the, also Shiva. We within within the material world, Shiva has an extremely elevated post, and there, of course, is a class of men that worship him because he has such an elevated post. Their worship is directly to him. And if they are considering, some of them even consider Shiva God. Shiva is pretty close to God. I mean, for us, Shiva is so powerful and so wonderful, he can annihilate the whole, that's a God to us. So there is a class of, of people who worship Shiva as the Supreme Lord himself. But Shiva is actually the topmost devotee of God. Do you think he was behind the Big Bang Theory? <laughs> no, he's the he's behind the big fire theory. At the end, he has a little drum. Yeah, he has a little drum like Shamla was paying a bigger one. Well, he has a little teeny one. He has two yeah. heads on either side. Yeah, like a teeny little drum. At the end, he he pounds on his little drum, and he's. He does right. The dance of annihilation and the whole universe is burned up. Brahma creates, Vishnu maintains, <coughs> Shiva annihilates. There are different divisions of Vedic knowledge. And if you remember back to the second chapter, mm-hmm. what did Krishna say about the Vedas? Primarily they deal with what? Enjoyment in the world. That's the primary focus of the Vedas. So it's only a class of very advanced spiritualists who draw out the essence of the Vedas, the Bhakti Shastras, and enlighten humanity with that topmost. The majority of humanity is not interested. They want to live and according to the directions in the Vedas to enhance their enjoyment of the world. It's a good beginning, but it's it's still karma bandana. Yajnarthat karmano natra. Lokan nam karma bandana. Still binding us up. And what's the binding? The binding is karma. What's the karma? Karma, mean, karma means samsara. What's samsara? Repeating again and again the same old thing. One body to another body to another. One time this color, one times that color. One time this race, one time that race. This sex, that sex. This species, that species. Oh, it's dizzying. 
How many times we just keep going? <laughs> it's a game. Really, it's a game. Well, it's, it's not a... Whatever the game is, it always ends in misery. <laughs> it's how many times we can keep getting our head on the wall. Very good. It's like a big cosmic joke. Yeah, we're the butt of it. <laughs> we're the joke. <laughs>